Adventure. We're a movie podcast where every week we sit down and have a discussion about the film. I'm your camping, backpacking, marshmallow roasting, fire building, fishing host, Aiden Walker. And I'm Blake Peterson, uh, your well-dressed Boy Scout who wields a bow and arrow. That's really good. Oh, thank you. I I'm try. happy. You know, I'm happy that you're playing with me now, and like you'll do the intro. You'll do the you fun know, intro. I don't. I don't want to be a Debbie Down every time. So maybe like sometimes I'll be like, oh, I can't. I can't deal with this today. But maybe sometimes. Uh, today we're talking about Moonrise Kingdom. That's true. So <laughs> shall we? Shall we I dive think, in? I think we should dive in. Have you seen this one before? I've seen it before. I realized. I don't even know how, but I I feel like it's a recurring thing that I see Wes Anderson movies with my grandparents. We saw it, and it's weird because I don't feel like my grandparents even really know who he is. I think it's just like coincidental. But we saw this, I think, after it had played in most theaters, and like there's a theater in my hometown where it plays movies months after they come out. Um, and for cheap, right? And for a lot cheaper, yeah. yeah. So we saw it there. That place is cool though, because you also get it's also like half of restaurants. So you can like order a meal while you're watching it. It's very lit. That sounds really nice. Yeah, so I watched it with them, liked it that time. I feel kind of the same way now. Just like think it's a fun, nice little coming of age movie. I agree. Yeah, wholeheartedly. This is I think one of his best movies for sure. Yeah. Have you seen it before? I'm assuming. I've seen it a number of times. Really? Yeah. I think this is probably my fourth time seeing it. Wow. You really stand hard. Like I feel like with Grand Budapest, like you saw that what seven or eight times, and so now. Yeah. Wow, that's very impressive. Yeah. And it's usually, I've seen this movie with different people at different oh, okay. points. Yeah, I, I yeah. never just sat down and been like, I'm going to watch Moonrise Kingdom by myself. Gotcha. Except for last night. But I had a friend <laughs> with me, so I guess. I didn't start doing that. I feel like you always have a friend that watches it with you, and I never It's do. the move. It's the move. You know, when, yeah. for this podcast, it just gives me an opportunity to watch things that I haven't seen before. You know, when we do crazy episodes like Night of the Hunter or Suspiria, I turn it into an event, and I just have my buds over, and we, That's good. we watch it, and then we all get some kind of education out of it. So Yeah. I always just watch it very late uh, alone. <laughs> so <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll have to start inviting you, and you can come join yeah, us. maybe. <laughs> I would feel like it's so much work. Yeah, I know. We'll I'm so far away from so where you far. live. So far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a long walk. <laughs> it really is. Um, do you want to give a little plot rundown? Oh, I would for be the, delighted to. Folks at home, I would be delighted <laughs> to. So there's a young boy named Sam who's a foster kid. He's played by Jared Gilman, and he is a what are they called? Khaki scout. I guess it's a khaki. They scout. wear he's khaki. Like, so. He's like a boy scout. Yeah. Uh, and he runs away from home with a young woman that he's in love with, named Susie, who's played by Kara Hayward, and the two of them are. What do you think, 12, 13? I think they're 13, yeah. They run away with all this camping gear. They have a boat. They escape. Just run away into the wilderness, and all the khaki scouts organize to try and find them, and so do all the adults. They live on an island in – they're not New England. They're in – well, they're in Rhode Island is where yeah. it was filmed, but they're, they're on the East Coast, and they're on an island called New Penzance. Yeah, so classic. So the adults all freak out, and they try to track them down, mm-hmm. and you get this fun love story of them, you know, being away from society and being young kids. Yeah, it's a chase movie sometimes. It really just, it does it all. It does everything. There's some action. It's comedy for sure. Yeah. (laughs) That's my summary. That's a good summary. I don't want to, I don't want to say the whole plot. No, I feel like the plot in general, I mean, it is pretty simple. It is mostly just a lot of seeing Sam and Susie spending time together, them getting kind of chased around by all these adult figures. Although you do get later on, you get more of an inside look into the relationships between the adults, but... It is, for the most part, pretty straightforward. And it's a short movie, which I've noticed a lot in Anderson's filmography, which has been really nice, whereas stuff is only really 90 or so minutes. This one is a really good length. 
I think yeah. this movie is excellent. It's a perfect length. I think that's something he's also gotten better at um, as he's become more, like as he's refined his style as the years have gone on. Because kind of at the beginning, I would see this trend of where maybe they might run a little bit too long or run out of steam. But I feel like as he's gone on, his movies have gotten shorter. And so because of that, he's gotten a lot tighter and leaner in the way he tells his stories. And that's a strong suit for him. I agree. Yeah. I agree completely. No. I like the way this movie develops setting a lot right off the bat. It does this cool technique where it just does this. Let's call it a long shot. What is yeah. like the technical term? Long shots um, just horizontally showing you the insides of uh, the main characters' houses. And so you get a sense through that. It's very like cool stylistically in the first place, but through that you get a sense of you know the routines of these families a little bit of an inside look into their personalities and it's just like a cool it kind of reminded me of in Kill Bill when um Tarantino would place the camera above like they'd be inside a house they'd he place it above it and you'd see all the inner workings of the house and so you're very aware that like you're looking at a set but it still has this very cool effect and I like too how each at the end of each shot it's just a glimpse at Kara Hayward with binoculars, which kind of reminds us of our voyeurism, which is a really interesting touch. I like that. And then also Anderson uses Bob Balaban as the narrator. And early on, he just kind of stands in a bunch of places or big landmarks in this fictionalized New Penzance just to kind of show us the space of the place. So Anderson, like the way he establishes setting is so ingenious here. It's really good. And the uh, Bob, is it Balaban? You think so, yeah. yeah he's, uh, he's a cartographer. Yeah. And he talks about just the topography of the island that they're on and the you know kind of the geographical layout of it it's really it's it's interesting and it it feels kind of like this movie is a tribute to just like quirky people who love national parks yeah you know what i mean yeah and i think setting is so key here because when you do have two 13 year olds who have run away from home it is kind of nice to understand the setting because you don't necessarily know where they could have gone necessarily so when you get kind of a feel for everything then you realize what are kind of going to be some pit stops later on by people who are looking for them and stuff so it just strikes me that we haven't really placed the film so it was directed by wes anderson as we said it came yeah. out in 2012 i don't know if we mentioned that i don't think we did and the film itself takes place in 1965 yeah so it's got they've got record players they've got big thick rimmed glasses they got that the 70s style what can i say yeah and it's not and i like it too because it's not super pronounced like i kind of kept forgetting that it was in 65 because it's a lot of directors really love to really be like this is the decade we're in and please enjoy all the costumes that uh i'm going to be showcasing here but anderson it really is downplayed and kind of is almost a just kind of a background sort of thing yeah no the movie's timeless yeah it's Definitely. timeless nothing that's the goal it would be odd if they were trying to make direct references to things yeah. from the 60s. And they're like, hey, remember this thing that happened? That, it, would have, <laughs> it would have pulled me out of it. Because the story yeah. is not about the time period. It's about it's about the kids. Yeah. No, honestly, though, I feel like the only thing that made me think about the time period was there's a scene later in the movie where Gilman and Hayward are dancing to Francois Hardy. And I was like, what 13-year-old listens to Francois Hardy? But then I realized, like, in 1965, she was kind of – and for people who don't know, she was just, like, a French pop star in the 60s. But I was like thinking like no one would listen to that as a kid. And then I realized that in 1965 she was like international and like was actually kind of famous. And so it was plausible. So like that was like the only time where I really thought about like, oh, yeah. You had to check yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like actually they're not just these eccentric little kids. I mean they are, but. Oh, yeah. Not, for sure. Yeah. Not like a weird esoteric touch. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the island New Penzance actually that they're on and they explore reminds me a lot of the San Juans here yeah. in Washington. No, definitely. Have you, been, have you spent much time in the San Juans at all? I really haven't. My family took a trip a while ago, maybe like a decade or so ago. So it's been like a long time. 
I have a really close friend who has a cabin up on Blakely Island, which mm. is kind of one of the, I guess, lesser known islands up in the San Juans. And I used to go there every summer with him for about a week. Oh. And I haven't been able to do that in the last couple of years, which is a bummer. But, you know, we would always go fishing and they, there's this lake there called Horseshoe Lake, which is mm-hmm. very Wes Anderson. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's literally shaped like a horseshoe and it's really warm and you can fish for trout there and it's just wonderful there's like a big jumping rock although the way that the the movie looks and kind of feels that summer warm there's still you know it's i guess it's like almost fall mm-hmm. it, it, it rains a lot i don't know it was there's <laughs> something there's something really familiar about the movie for me at least in the area that i've grown up in that is really comforting and yeah. i really enjoy it no it really plays up to that idea of just kind of going on little adventures as a kid with your friends like i was so reminded of you know going camping with family friends when i was younger or going on family vacations to this place called Hartstein island that's you know nearby seattle Hartstein's um, great i've spent a lot of time oh, on it's Hartstein. so fun i love it I have, friend, I have another friend who has a cabin on Hartstein. Oh, really it's yeah just wonderful yeah no, it's a great place and so i was definitely reminded and kind of taken back to those memories so i could really feel why this i mean obviously these characters are trying to run away from it all but you kind of got this extra sense of like why what they're doing is so fun and why it's going to mean so much to them because you kind of have an idea of it as well and then all of that beautiful scenery is underscored with or maybe overscored with uh (laughs) with alexander despot's odd music which is so great Mm there is a particular part where the action kind of starts to rev up and he starts playing this organ there's this weird like, like kind of noise. I, I think I just sang a little bit from one of the Grand Budapest songs. <laughs> it it was, it's not like that, but it's it's kind of like it's pretty similar. Yeah. And then he also uses some child choirs at a couple of points, mm. which is pretty interesting. It's not the choice I would make if I were going to score this movie, but yeah. it works. No, I always feel like he and Anderson, they make so much sense as collaborators because they both go with the unconventional most of the time and do things that most artists would be afraid to do or maybe would think would be too odd, but they just kind of go with it anyway. And most of the time it sticks. So, and that's just kind of a continuous thing. They both take risks and they both usually pay off. Yeah. His score doesn't hide behind what's happening on mm-hmm. the screen and it doesn't try to just say, oh, this is happening, so you should feel this way right now. Yeah. It's like, there's things happening on the screen and the music is gonna kind of do its own thing and yeah. you're gonna remember the movie more because of it. No, you're like you are listening to the music and are intently listening as the things are going on, which I think a lot of movies you don't necessarily do. You don't pay attention to the music and a spot time and time again asks you, like, hey, listen to this. You check this out. This is pretty cool. You heard this deep cut? I did this one. <laughs> yeah, put on your headphones. Make sure they're charged. We make Alexander Desplat sound like he's just he's an angry, cool. you know, kind of <laughs> aggressive composer. I think he's probably pretty nice. Who knows? Maybe he's like Quincy Jones or something and is just very... <laughs> Just a lot to take in. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. So, Aiden, I feel like we've gotten to a point in the podcast where it might be a good time to share some fun facts with listeners. Would you be willing to share some with me? Who can say? Who can say? Aiden? Just kidding. I would, be, I would be delighted. <laughs> what? Okay. I'm so excited. Hit me with them. Okay, here they come. So, there's some... Of course, very fun, fun facts for this movie because, well, it's a fun movie. So the character Laura Bishop, who's played by Frances McDormand, she yells at her children and her family through a bullhorn <laughs> through most of the through most of the movie. And this was inspired by the co-writer of the movie, uh, Roman Coppola's own mother, who did the same thing wow, to him poor, while he was growing up. Poor Roman. <laughs> yeah. So that's fun. That's my first fun fact. 
This is my second fun fact. I'm sorry I'm doing it like this. <laughs> this is the first Wes Anderson film that has no involvement from Owen Wilson. <gasps> I just realized that. Wow. Yeah. That's so, wait, is Luke in it either? Nope. Oh, my God. That's so sad. No Wilsons. I can't believe it. It's not even really an Anderson movie. <laughs> it's like Never Say Never Again. It's a, it's a Wilsonless <laughs> film. So after filming, uh, the two leads, is it Howard? Is that her last name? I think it's Hayward. Is it Hayward? Yeah. Or Hayward, yeah. After filming, Hayward and Gilman both got to keep special things from the set. Ooh. So Hayward got to keep the little kitten that she carries around with her throughout the whole movie. She got to keep the cat, and Gilman got to keep his camping backpack. I love that. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Also, it's really cute. literally in my notes, I wrote, like, that cat is so well-behaved. I just was so astounded. I, how did they get that cat to be so chill? I don't even understand. Like, they would, like, set it. I mean, granted, I think this is just movie magic and cutting away, but, like, there's like that. There's like a scene where they will like set the cat down and like walk away, and the cat, I guess, can be trusted to stay there. And I was just like, wow. The scene, I wish I had a cat like that. The <laughs> scene where uh, where she's lying down on the beach. Uh, Susie is lying down on the beach and being painted by Sam, and she's holding the cat just kind of on the ground right next to her, mm. and it's not moving. It's just kind of being chill and oh, hanging out. <laughs> I could I could not believe that. Yeah, and I can't relate because my cat's. A nightmare. So, oh, a nightmare. I'm jealous. What is Huge your cat's nightmare. name? My cat's name is Murphy, oh. um, and he loudly meows constantly for no reason. Oh, I have and, a cat uh, like that. He likes to do a thing where I'll be like typing, and then he'll sit like on my keyboard. So that's cool. Pay attention to me. Yeah, he's a huge pain. But <laughs> <laughs> how old is he? Um, I think eight, maybe seven or eight. eight. Okay. Yeah. My one of my cats, uh, Lily, is. 17 oh wow and she does that she doesn't she doesn't ever lay it on my keyboard but she does the same thing where she will yell senselessly and constantly yeah. and it's so it's so sad yeah she just wants us to pay attention and it's like i'm i'll try but and then i try and i like hold you know murphy or something and that makes him mad too so it's like i don't know what kind of attention you're wanting. what you want bud you have food you have water the cats are so weird they're so adorable but it's, they're well, they're too much they're wild <laughs> wild animals truly so my last one fact is that this movie has the smallest budget that Anderson has worked with since Bottle Rocket. I wonder if there was like, if it just happened that way coincidentally if, or if he was kind of considering a back to basics approach. It did kind of feel, I think granted I did watch Grandpa Best before this, but it kind of felt like a back to basics sort of movie for him. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, what did he make before this? Was it? Um, Mr. Fox. Mr. Fox, yeah, which I feel like is such a... I mean, I'm sure that took a lot of time to film. It was a very intricate movie to make. And so I think it, yeah, it did feel a little bit like a throwback to when he was kind of working with The Simple. I don't know if you felt like that at all, but... Yeah, no, I think it, it was it was kind of a... It was a little bit of a back-to-the-roots kind of thing. Which is always nice, I think, when a director does that, when they kind of take a step back, take a breather, and... <laughs> I mean, it is the, the smallest budget since Bottle Rocket, but I'm sure it was still massive because of all of the sets that they had to build. Oh, definitely. And it is funny that it is a small budget because I feel like the stars are really big in this movie. But I figure they'd also probably take smaller paychecks if they're, you know, working with Wes Anderson. Speaking of stars, I'm a little bit sad that Frances McDormand didn't get more screen time. I know. I love her in anything. Yeah, she's really incredible. She could, um, as Randy Jackson said a lot of the time, to singers he liked in American Idol, she could read the phone book and I would be enamored. She could do anything. Agreed. (laughs) No, I really like her character. And kind of, I like to, Anderson at the beginning, all the adults have, they remind me of the adults in Charlie Brown. Like, they're very just, wah, wah, and trying to ruin all the fun. But then as the movie develops, you get more of a sense of who they are, that 
she's kind of in an unhappy marriage with Bill Murray and not super satisfied in that way. And then a lot of the other adult characters as well seem a little bit unhappy as well, which I really like. It kind of it juxtaposes the idea of young love blossoming and then all these people who were young once but didn't maybe go through with a lot of ambitions they had or maybe they had a young romance that they didn't pursue. So that's interesting. I feel like she kind of is the epitome of that because she looks the most miserable, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if she looks more miserable than Bill Murray. True. Bill Murray looks miserable. Bruce Willis looks really miserable. But he kind of has a happy ending. Yeah, he does. I love Bruce Willis in this movie. He's He's really good. I wish that Bruce Willis would take more roles like this. I did too. Because he's a very good, kind of dramatic, also Mm -hmm. like kind of comedic actor. I think he'd he'd shine in things that weren't action movies all the time. Yeah, which I love him in action. But I think, yeah, too, he is a very underrated comedic actor, very underrated dramatic actor. I wish he would do that more. I'm trying to think of what he's done lately like i feel like he's mostly done kind of the direct-to-video route he kind of does that a lot i've noticed like he'll do kind of a couple big movies and a couple like direct-to-video i think to just make some more money and then do so we'll just go back and forth so i wonder what his story is yeah who he's up to maybe he'll return to the prestige at some point maybe (laughs) hopefully maybe he cameos in isle of dogs who knows (gasps) maybe he does i always wonder because in the big when they're advertising that movie trying to boast about how many stars they have he could be one of them I still like hate that so much and like uh, all, all the, the trailer. I and they're just like look at everyone we have. Yeah. Don't you want to see it now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember thinking the same thing. I was like, wow, that's a lot of people. Wait a second, is that Yoko Ono? Yeah, no, that's me too. It's like it's who is she gonna voice? Her, that'd be cool. If she was like herself, herself, but as like an animated figure. That sounds almost likely. That's true. I kind of that could happen. Let's see. Let's stay tuned. What if we? What if we predicted it right? And so that'd be crazy. Do you think Anderson will pay us or something? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he'll come on the show. That'd be that would be crazy. I'm not prepared to talk to Wes Anderson on the no. show. No. How would I tell him that I haven't liked a lot of his movies? I don't know. I <laughs> it's too scary. I'd be like, I like half of them. I'd rather a do lot. it um in writing, not having to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, you could put it in a paper somewhere and then he can maybe read it or probably not yeah and then call Which me would be fine he doesn't <laughs> yeah he doesn't need to know <laughs> oh what another else? i was mad because i <laughs> because i've been so aware that anderson loves to kill dogs when he killed the dog i feel like i was less upset and more just like god anderson killing another dog how dare he like i was just like not didn't. my favorite line in the movie comes right after that though what's the line I where Susie asks sam was he a good dog and he just looks really sad and he just says who's to say <laughs> What is and it? And then he like pulls the arrow God. out of the dog. Yeah, Anderson's thing with dogs. I need. To, I would want to do an interview with him, but just talk about dogs and his backstory with dogs. What's the story, dude? What's his Why relationship? These dogs? We want to know. What's the truth? Because he clearly, you know, likes cats. This cat really gets a big spotlight in this movie. So yeah, but he is knows? also making a movie about dogs. But that's the thing. Like, what if? What if that's they the all thing. die? How many of them are gonna what die? What if they all die and it's like a big mass dog? Mur- God, that sounds terrible. A, a big dog murder a movie? A dog murder movie. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's dark. That's a dark genre. I don't think he would do that, but you never know based on his track record with dogs. <laughs> how many How many you think? How many dogs are going to be um, dead by the end of the movie? I'm going to go with three. I think three is like a small number. Seems feasible for a movie with that many dogs. The okay. dog to person ratio. I'll go four. Oh, wow. So don't yeah. forget these numbers. We'll we'll tell you who was right or we'll if see. neither of us were right. Hopefully it's zero. After, ho- hopefully zero. Hopefully zero. Hopefully, zero. hopefully yeah. zero. But if it's four, I mean, what do I get? Maybe 
the duty of filling the simple green bottle over there. It's a little bit half full. Maybe you get to buy a new one. Oh, I get to fill it. Wait, if I'm right, if, if I'm right, right have I have to, to pay money to... to get more cleaning supplies for our studio. That yes. is weak. Friend. I think it's. I think it's a fun reward. Okay. <laughs> well. I don't know. That's fine. We'll have to brainstorm and we'll let the listeners know. <laughs> we'll let them know. What do you think of the costumes in this one? I like the costumes. They're kind of understated, but also very character defining. I especially love Tilda Swinton's costume. Oh she's my kind gosh, of... she's got that cloak. Because <laughs> she's like social services, but she also looks like, also I think like in the credits, she's just referred to as social services, which is fun. Yeah, they call her social services. I love it. We're social services. <laughs> she looks kind of like a cross between a stewardess in the 60s and a detective. It's a fun look for her, fun garb. It's wild. I really like it. I like to, this isn't really a costume, but there's like this emphasis on Hayward's blue eyeshadow, which I like. That's kind of the signifier. Because I think when a, if like a little girl discovers makeup, there's like this sense of like, I'm kind of an adult. And so like that kind of is like a reflection of that. I think she, both Hayward and Gilman in this movie, they both are kind of under this impression that they are both mature and can make their own decisions when really they're just kids. I'll add, this fun, I'll add this fun fact. Speaking of her <gasps> makeup, she did all of her own makeup for the movie. Classic. Yeah. I would stuff. say classic Hayward, but I've seen her only in like one other movie. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe it is classic. I laughed really hard because of the scene where Sam is eating dinner with Bruce Willis and they're just chatting. Bruce Willis gives him some beer. <laughs> <laughs> He's wearing an ascot with a mm. rabbit's tail tied to it. <laughs> That's a look. It is a look. Definitely. I couldn't, like, I was so focused on what was happening in the scene that I looked down and I was like, is he wearing a rabbit's tail on his ascot? That's wow. a little silly. Definitely cute, but not yeah. a raw vegan. That's for no. sure. Not a vegan whatsoever. 1965 would be a rough time to try being a vegan. Do you think there were a lot? Like, I wonder what the vegan population now compared to 1965 was. I feel like did they Gigantic. Exist? They existed. <laughs> they totally existed, but there weren't a lot of them. There couldn't have been. There's no way. I mean, in the hard. United States, at least. Yeah, that's true. Such a meat-centric it's culture. a very meat-centric culture. Yeah. Oh, uh, I noticed Lucas Hedges is in this, but our special guest for our next episode brought it up that she thought that Lucas Hedges was in this as well, and I had not known that it's it's true. Is he one of really the campers? Was. He's like the lead like Boy Scout who's like chaotic evil. Oh, like everyone the one, else is the like, one with the crutches? Yeah, Dude, like everyone's yeah. trying to help, and he's like, no, I won't help you. That's him. It's funny, like he's just so so small i'm so used to seeing him as like this kind of how old is he like 19 used to this the 19 year old lucas head just not like he kind of looks exactly the same but with like a small he's voice. got like red hair in this one though does he always have red hair he always has red hair yeah oh jeez. but as yeah his voice is very young yeah he's got that young voice <laughs> I, it's um, funny that you describe him as chaotic evil he is chaotic he is. he's just he causing really trouble is. he's like a fun evil though kind he of is. like a lip smacking villain which i enjoy especially when like a child's playing a villain. You don't see that a lot. No. Yeah. I love his dialogue with Sam when they catch them in the woods and he's, you know, riding on the motorcycle. Mm -hmm. He gets stabbed with the pair of scissors. Oh, that's so rough. I kind of feel bad for him in that moment. The, he weirdly... That cut is so funny where it's like he's just riding at it and then there's like this flash on the screen with a graphic of a pair mm -hmm. of scissors that are like glistening and there's all <laughs> this, there's like an explosion looking graphic yeah. behind it. And then there's a shot of another graphic like that, but it's an arrow. Uh -huh. And then you just hear a scream and you get a wide shot of the woods. <laughs> no, I love it's the wide shot of the It's a brilliant way screen. to not show violence. It's just like, yeah. it's just implied. His character reminds me weirdly of in The Emperor's New Groove when Yzma is temporarily a cat. I was kind of, he felt like just a longer version of evil cat Yzma, but as a person. I don't. Wow. I'm not really sure why. That, kept that was esoteric. 
I mean, I hope not. I hope everyone's seen The Emperor's New Groove because it's a masterpiece. It's been a long time but since I've seen it. It's so good. Movie. Let's do an episode on it. Oh, yeah. I've seen it. See, that's the thing. You've seen this like many times. I've seen that movie many times. So yeah. I'd be, it'd be like my version. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Maybe Who one knows? day. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, I like to. I've noticed this thing with Tilda Swinton. I Because she never wears makeup in real life, I really feel like when she plays a villain and she's wearing makeup like she is here, it almost adds this additional layer of a lot of the villains she's playing like here and in Oakjaw. She's like trying to do this fake nice sort of thing and it feels very fake. And so when you see her all kind of dressed up, which you don't see in real life, it kind of adds like another dimension to her performance of like this. She is acting, but then there's this additional acting that's enhanced by just her appearance. It's really interesting. I feel like a lot of actresses don't have that sort of thing happen in their you know own careers. She's got such a unique look. She's it's such, really such a unique like, look. She's a force to be reckoned with. She is a force. I love her so much. I think she's, she's really the good. greatest. She can do it all. She's great in Okja. Great in Oak she's, Doug. Really she's in great Oak here. I don't think I've seen her in anything where I'm like, Tilda was not bringing it today. And you get double the Tilda in uh, in Hail Caesar because she plays Oh, twins. yeah, that's true. I totally forgot that she was in that. I feel yeah. like she. a lot of people were in that movie just to be in it, kind of. Scarlett she, Johansson is in it for, like, two seconds. Yeah, her and then, like, Jonah Hill's in it for, like, 30 seconds. Like, he's barely even in it at all. Well, should we do final thoughts? Yeah, I think so. I think it's time. I think it's time. Yeah. I love this movie. It's great. One of his best. I'm not going to put it in a specific <laughs> ranking, but it's really great. It's really warm. It's really fuzzy. It's got a good atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And, and a unique looks different than his other films, I think. Yeah. It's got more of a warmer tone. Very kind of nostalgic. It just feels good. Yeah. And I think I think this is probably one of his funnier films. I, I think I mm-hmm. laugh at this one just as much, if maybe not a little less, than Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. And no, I really like this movie a lot. I think my brain keeps trying to convince myself that... It's minor, and I think it's just because I just watched The Grand Prix Best Hotel, and I'm always so floored by that movie that anything in comparison, I'm always just like, oh, well, that's a minor work in his filmography. But I do think looking, you know, considering all of his other movies, I think this is definitely one of his strongest works. It's one of his most easily accessible. It's enjoyable. Huge fan. Big fan. (laughs) Well, why don't you start us off with recommendations this week? All right. So I picked two uh, coming-of-age movies I really like. They're not at all totally similar. In fact, I think one of them is one of the most depressing movies I've ever seen. Oh, and then <laughs> the other one is a lot more caustic. So uh, my first one is uh, Andrea Arnold's Fish Tank from 2009. And that details the life of a troublemaking 16-year-old who's very, very lost and ultimately comes to the conclusion that she's going to continue being lost and is going to live a very miserable life, which is so sad. Whoa. But it's a fantastic character study, and you really get a sense of who this girl is. You really are sympathetic toward her. The casting's really interesting, too, because the leading character, she actually wasn't an actress. The director had actually seen her arguing with her boyfriend on the subway and thought that she'd be really good for this angsty teen part. So that's a very interesting coming-of-age movie. Like this, I guess you could compare them because they are both very unconventional and don't go with all the usual formulaic tendencies that you see in this genre. So check that out, but definitely very depressing, so get ready. My other one is Terry's Wygoff's Ghost World with Thor Birch and a very That's young... A great movie. It's so good. And then with a very young Scarlett Johansson, and it follows these two teenage friends kind of after they graduate from high school and watches as they kind of drift apart and has while they kind of become their own people and... Like, this one kind of 
has this weird conclusion that life isn't super great and these characters are gonna you know have a lot of struggles in their futures but this one is very it's like a very good dark comedy but it's also pretty heartfelt at the same time yeah but ghost world is really good it's i great. just watched it for the first time pretty recently mm-hmm. it's very underrated and it really financially tanked when it first came out and it's kind of become this cult movie and i think it's deserving of a lot more praise so my movies are wildly different than yours <laughs> uh so the first recommendation i have is federico fellini's film it's from the 70s at some point it's Amarcord. oh i need to see that it's great it's wild it's it's a series of vignettes it's kind of about his life growing up in this mm-hmm. the part of italy that he's from and so it's um it's you know it's a movie about kind of growing up and about living in a town with a bunch of people i got you know kind of a similar vibe that the community on new penzance is pretty tight-knit they all mm-hmm. know each other and you get that feeling from Amarcord, even though they're in a little bit of a bigger town uh, anyway, it's a beautiful movie. It's really colorful and very funny and just, it's odd. It's the kind of movie that you'll think about later and be like, wow, that was really hilarious, but why was that part in it? There's a <laughs> man who put, he climbs a tree and he just stays up there and yells for a long time and his family's trying to get him down, but he refuses to come down. Just kind of almost fairy tale type stuff. Mm. I'd highly recommend it. It's funny. Watch it with a friend. It's long. Yeah. Nofolini, like Anderson, has such a distinct style. Definitely a penchant for the unorthodox. So For sure. Yeah. And then the other movie that I recommend that's from a little more recently. So the other movie I picked is Wild, directed by Jean-Marc Vallée, starring Reese Witherspoon. And it's a movie about a woman who has struggled with addiction, and she is at this kind of turning point in her life. I think it takes place after a breakup and she decides that she's going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail by herself. So she, you see her, you know, getting prepared and getting all of her camping supplies and then going and camping and just having this experience in, in nature. And she meets some other campers along the way, but it's really all about her and you get some flashbacks to previous points in her life and just kind of how she got to this point. And it's really great. It's also, it's a sad movie, but it's also a very funny and positive movie in a lot of Mm. ways. Have you seen it? Yeah, no, I love that movie. It's a great movie. It's so good. It's also got the really attractive guy from Game of Thrones in it at one little part at the end. Oh, yeah. What's his name? Yeah. (laughs) Well, what's his name's great. He's Um, the guy. (laughs) Yeah, Laura Dern's in it, too. Love Laura. Is Laura Dern in it? She plays Reese Witherspoon's mom. Oh, that's, one of the, that's one of the driving forces because her mom dies and she's struggling with gr- like the grief kind of caused those like addiction problems and stuff because oh, she like yeah. couldn't cope. I got to see it again. Yeah. I think I saw it once in theaters, loved it, and then just never. I'd recommend it. it. Yeah. I'd definitely recommend it. All right. Those are my recommendations. The good ones. If you want to hear more of the two of us talking to each other about movies, you can always find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and our website, uwpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at the Filmcast, or you can follow us on our personal accounts, at Aiden Walkera or at Blake W. Peterson. If you want to write to us with suggestion or you just want to send your opinions our way, you can send us an email at cinemadventurepodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please share it with a friend, share it on social media, get it out there. If you really want to help us out, uh, leave us a review on iTunes. That would be really excellent. We're trying to do that because that can help us reach kind of a wider audience if our show is reviewed. That's just how that works. <laughs> it's just great. If you want to follow along with us, next week we're going to be talking about Grand Budapest Hotel next Wednesday. Woo! with special guest Madeline Vander Hayden. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you (laughs) next time. Bye.
Did you know Peruvians have their own type of Chinese food? Or that Vietnamese food is heavily influenced by French cuisine? Have you ever wondered what other cultures' drunk food is like? Explore these topics and more right here on the Soundbite Network. My name is Didi Madigan, and I'm the host of Home Plates, a podcast all about food. Catch up on the first season of Home Plates on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. New episodes air every Wednesday. Seattle Seahawks have the best offensive line in NFL history. Kyle Seeger is the better Seeger brother. Markel Fultz is the best player on the Sixers. Hashtag trust the process. Okay, we don't actually believe any of these things, but if you want to hear our thoughts on topics like these, tune into the Boxing Podcast with Chris Ankiko, Alec Dietz, and Andy Amashta every Friday on the Soundbite Network. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.